Good morning, everyone, and thanks for joining us here on Candidate Question Time. My name's Sarah, and shortly I'll be joined by Jason Perry. He is the Managing Director at ASL Recruitment. He's also an HR specialist and a Chartered Fellow of the Chartered Institute of Personnel and Development. Yes. So um, <clears throat> we get together every second Saturday to discuss the latest things that have been going on and changes as a result of the coronavirus. Um, so we've got a few things to discuss today. I'm going to bring Jason into the conversation now. So let me see. Jason, are you there? Good morning, Sarah. Good morning, Jason. And how are you today? Very well. A little bit on the cold side, but, you know, other than that, it's all good. Yes. No snow, though. No. Uh, heavy frost, something. though. There's plenty of black ice out there today. Ah, that's a good warning. OK, not that anybody's going anywhere. but <laughs> So <clears throat> a few things to be discussing today. Um, I think we'll probably start with um, a question about vaccine because um, there was something in the news about the Pimlico plumber uh, yes. guy saying no jab, no job. Um, and the question really is, can my boss make me have the vaccine? Yeah, the, the, the Pimlico plumbers organisation you may have heard of, they quite often are in the news, even if you don't happen to see their vans running around London. Um, and they're in their news because they have some um, interesting views on employment law and they quite often find themselves challenged in employment tribunals. So this isn't unusual for them to do something controversial. The line, no jab, no job, they're basically saying, if you don't have the vaccine, you can't work here. Um, the general opinion is that isn't legal. Um, so if your boss tells you you're going to lose your job if you don't have the vaccine or you can't apply for this job unless you've had a vaccine, uh, that won't stand up to our discrimination laws. We have plenty of discrimination laws that protect people. Um, there are people who will say they won't have the vaccine because of philosophical beliefs. And that is a protected characteristic under the 2010 Equality Act. So in my view... There is no way somebody can enforce you to have the vaccine. Now, the difficulty here, it has been debated quite widely. What about a care home? Can you imagine sending your relatives to work in a care home where you know half the staff have refused to have the vaccine? Are you going to want your frail elderly relatives in that care home? And I suspect your answer is no. Um, so I think what we've got to do is accept that employers may encourage people to have the vaccine. They may seek to persuade them to have the vaccine. Can they enforce it? No, I don't think they can. OK, so that's uh, and just uh, on a point, is that so would, is that because if it's a philosophical belief or is that just generally? So if somebody just says, I don't want it, I don't like needles. Does that change the situation? Um, we, we have a number of different bits of law, um, and uh, forgive me, I know a lot about employment law, I'm not particularly good on health and medical and uh, other areas of law, but we have a very clear structure in the UK where you cannot be forced to have medicine, you cannot be forced to take a certain injection or a vaccine, hence why when you go for any kind of medical treatment, you have to consent to it. So effectively, we're dealing with an element of your freedom. And if somebody tries to take that element away when the government haven't taken that element of your freedom away, um, it's very, very hard to see how an employer can do it. 
there's a whole range of reasons. Now, I pick one of them, philosophical beliefs. Um, you know, you've got a scenario where somebody with a range of health conditions, you might have somebody, I'll deal with the ones I know, somebody might have an immunosuppressant disease that means they can't have the vaccine. But what if that person doesn't want to tell you that they have this illness? Um, they might actually be pregnant, um, but they might be in that first 13 week stage where nobody actually admits that they're pregnant. Now, how do they then deal with that issue of having to say, no, I'm not going to because of something I don't want to share with you? So in essence, I don't think you can do it, Sarah. Um, it's a very brave employer that tries to lay it down as a rule. Um, I know there will be some that will try it, um, but I suspect if they get taken to an employment tribunal, they will lose and they will lose quite badly. Um, I think this is one of those areas in HR, we talk about hearts and minds. And what an employer should be doing is seeking to persuade their people that this is in the greater good, this is the right way forward, not enforcing. Okay, so actually following on quite nicely from that, we've had a question about masks. Um, we've had somebody say that um, they are exempt from wearing a mask, mm. but their boss wants them to go into work. Uh, and they're feeling quite uncomfortable about okay. that because, well, it... <laughs> well... Um, if I can just try and adopt the science for a moment, I don't think they need to feel quite uncomfortable on the core point, because most of what a mask does is protects other people from you, not protects you from other people. So I would be far more concerned if I were working in an office and somebody else came in not wearing a mask. So I, I think you need to get the way you look at this right. That being said, um, can your employer make you wear a mask? If you're a person who is legally protected from wearing that mask because you have health difficulties, breathing difficulties, clearly, no, you don't have to wear it. I would suggest that if you're that person, you probably also ought to be on the shield list and you probably ought to be working from home or not working at the moment and asking your employer for furlough. Because if you are not considered healthy enough to wear a mask, you probably didn't ought to be in any at-risk areas. But it's okay. better done through discussion. Okay, so the way to really tackle that one, therefore, is to look at it on the basis that if you're if you need if you're exempt from wearing a mask, then there's um, sort of approaching it from I'm putting other people at risk, and therefore I'm better off wearing Absolutely, absolutely. And do you know? I think there's a there's a bit of a problem here. We in this country seem to think a mask protects us. It doesn't. Um, it protects other people and only by us as a nation, as a, you know, people as a whole adopting mask wearing, do we protect ourselves because it becomes normal. But it's a really, really good thing to wear a mask. It keeps other people safe. And if you encourage other people to wear one, then they keep you safe. So it, it's kind of a group culture thing. Okay. Um, <clears throat> let's talk about statutory sick pay. Okay. Um, because uh, it's it's an area where there still seems to be some confusion, and these days there seems to be a lot more people who are eligible for it and perhaps aren't claiming it. So perhaps you could just run through those rules. Yeah, well. absolutely. And, do you know, in the past few weeks, we've seen numbers go up quite dramatically. Um, the good news is the case numbers on COVID are falling again. But having gone up, there are more people with the right to claim um, COVID SSP. It is really simple, um, and that is, if you are unable to work because you are self-isolating, 
because a member of your household has um, COVID or has symptoms, or you have been told to isolate by track and trace, test and trace, um, because they've said you've been in contact with somebody, then you are entitled to statutory sick pay. And this is a big difference to normally with sick pay. You are entitled to it from the very first day you are unable to work. Okay? And if your employer has less than 250 staff, it doesn't cost them anything. So there's no reason at all for them to try to resist. If your employer um, is eligible to claim that, then they get all the money back. The government are paying for your sick pay and you should have it from day one. The downside is um, it is only around £90 a week. But it is enough to take the worst of that pain away from you. If you don't have other income, if you are on benefits, you can apply to the local authority for a £500 grant when you're self-isolating. So there, there is systems there that will help. Okay. Um, so uh, let's just have a quick look at how things are going in terms of the job market, particularly in the Hastings area. It seems as though things are starting to move again quite nicely. Um, quite nicely. I don't want to overplay it, but it is getting better. Um, we have more people out working every day in temporary roles than we've seen since the beginning of this crisis. So since... Uh, March, April last year, um, it is getting much better. We're seeing more permanent opportunities as well. There is a risk that the current lockdown may dent the economy a little bit, but right now we're seeing things getting better and progressively better, Sarah. So I'm expecting as we go on over the next few months there to be more and more employment opportunities. The really important thing is to get them right and take care and make sure they are COVID safe. Absolutely. And of course, there are extra measures that will need to be in place now because the measures, the COVID safe measures that employers would have used back in the summer won't be enough anymore, will they? So um, they'll need to be. You're right. The, the new strain of the virus is more contagious and people need to be even more careful. And that's why things like last year, um, you know, just keeping two metres apart was considered good enough. Many, many employers are now saying, no, you need to wear masks as well. Um, and take extra steps. But if your employer is legally bound to make sure the workplace is safe, um, and if they're not, talk to them. Alternatively, raise it with the health and safety executive if you're just not getting the support you think you need. Um, and by all means, give us a call for advice if anybody wants a second opinion. It's what we spend a lot of our time doing is supporting people with concerns. Okay. Um, so I'm I'm not sure if you've if you've been made aware of this. I only found out about it um, yesterday. Um, but do you remember back in the summer the, the government launched a traineeship and apprenticeship the kickstart scheme? Yeah. Yep. Uh, well, the, the kickstart comes after, if you like. So um, with this now, uh, so, so the plan was always if you took on a trainee or an apprentice, um, you actually got a grant from the government in yep. order to in order to do that, and that's you know, obviously to kind of try and alleviate some of the, the problems we have now for young people who are facing a, a, a more uncertain future than perhaps they would have previously. Uh, previously, one of the um, sort of stumbling blocks, if you like, to actually taking on an apprentice or a trainee was they had to have um, a uh, facilities for kitchen and bathroom that were not part of the main house. 
Um, and so if you were somebody who actually had an office at home, mm. uh, much like yourself, you've got an office that's separate, but actually your bathroom and kitchen facilities are all within the house. That wasn't good enough. Um, it had to be a separate third party kind okay. of situation. Now they're taking it into account that most people are working remotely and that there are an awful lot of businesses that won't actually be going back into an office environment. And so now they're opening up the trainee and apprenticeship schemes, or certainly the traineeships, um, to remote workers. And that stipulation has now have gone. So I just thought that that was quite an interesting, a really positive yes. uh, step, particularly for sort of 16 to 24-year-olds. That's a very positive step. I mean, lots of new things have happened, Sarah, to take account of it. One of the things in the recruitment sector particularly, um, most of our candidates will know we ask them for a passport when they register. And back in the days when we used to meet them, um, we would actually want to see that passport and then take a photocopy of it. And that's actually because the law requires us to. The only defence we would have would be saying we saw it in person and we took a copy of it. Um, and the law's changed now, so we are now allowed to do those checks on video. So we will actually ask a candidate on video to hold up their passport and show it to us and then send us a copy, and that's uh, an acceptable alternative to it. Yes, there's uh, lo lots of changes happening in that respect. Absolutely. Um, I think when we come out of the other end of this, um, the way we work will have fundamentally changed in, in lots of ways. And forever. I don't yes. think it will go back. I agree. I agree. Okay. Well, I think that's just about all that we have time for. But it's, uh, you know, there is light at the end of the tunnel. That's that's really the key yep. thing to be holding on to. So, thanks very much for joining us, Jason. Uh, we'd like to say thank you for everybody at home who's tuned in to watch us and for the questions that you've been sending in over the course of the week. If you do have any questions that you'd like to submit, um, send them to hastings at aslgroup.co.uk or phone one of the team on 01424. 452999. In the meantime, we'll be back in two weeks' time. So until then, we shall say goodbye. Goodbye for now, Jason. Thank you, Sarah. Bye bye. And goodbye, everybody.